welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. We are pleased to bring you the message from this week's worship service. For more information about this message, this week's teacher, and to watch or see other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Our series is entitled The Story. If you were here last week, you heard a bit of the introduction, but you heard it uh, kind of through the lens of the children because we had our camp weekend last weekend. And so uh, a little different there, kind of simplified things a bit. But this is the story of the gospel, the story of the gospel. Now, were I to survey the people of this church that have been coming on any regular basis, in church anywhere on a regular basis, and say, what does the word gospel mean? Uh, virtually everybody would say, well, it's good news, and it is. What we need to make sure we understand is that if we want to use that word in a, an appropriately correct way, it really refers to the good news of what God has done for us through Jesus inclusive of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. So to tell the story of the gospel in all of its many ramifications is a lifetime of preaching. Hopefully you hear the gospel every week, the good news of God. But often we use the term gospel to refer to that sliver, that portion that has to do with the term justification, if that's new to some of you. Justification is where he declares his people righteous and the basis upon which he declares them righteous. That's the sliver that we are really looking at in this particular series called The Story. Now, we all love stories, particularly stories that have adventure in it and, and stories that have plight, they have rescue, and particularly when there's love involved. We all love those kind of stories. Carol and I were in New York City, and it's been a while, good long time back. And we were that evening in our room and said, well, let's watch a movie. And so we turned on the television, and the movie had already started. We caught most of the movie, and it was a really, really, really enjoyable movie. Uh, it was a story of a professional athlete, a professional athlete who had a disability, and it's the story of the relationship with him and a little boy with the same disability and how they connected and related and so forth and so on, the impact made on that kid and so forth. And, and when it was over, uh, we both enjoyed the movie very, very much. However, as it ended, there was a scrolling that began to come along, and it went on to tell a little bit about the story, saying that it was a true story. Well, you, I'm sure like me, when, when you enjoy a good story, that's one thing, but when you know it was a good story and it actually happened in real life, man, it ratchets up a, a whole nother notch and say, well, wow, that's really, really a good story. But as I read the script, as it goes on, it says that this person, the little kid now is an adult, lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and went on to say he was a lawyer, went on to say he was this, that, and the other, and then they gave the name, and I only heard the first name of this little boy, and I turned over to Carol, and I said, Carol, that's my tennis partner on my tennis team. <laughs> I just saw a movie about a friend of mine, and I had no idea about the story. Now, you don't think the story became interesting to me then? That would make me say, let me see that story again. Let me just go over this one more time. 
You know, the reality is the gospel story, when it's heard by most people, they say that's a good story. Many people say, I'm not sure I believe that story. I don't know that it has any relevance to me, but it's a good story, and I like it. I'm happy that it exists. I'm glad that I heard it, and on and on. But then there comes that reality when sometimes people who have heard that story began to truly believe that is a true story. It is real, and it takes on a lot of new interest. But then when we come to know the main character of that story. We meet Jesus in a personal way. Let me tell you, this story becomes all the more heightened in its importance and our love for that story. What I'd like for us to do is to look at this story, to see its adventure, to see the plight that exists in it. Oh, there's much plight. There's incredible rescue. There's love like you've never, ever experienced. I mean, this is truly a great story, no doubt about it. I used last week for our kids, I told them my story that as a a little child, I grew up in a a church that that really uh, didn't really understand the story, didn't explain it correctly, whatever. I heard little bits and pieces of it, and I believe the story was real. I mean, I I actually listened to the story and thought "It's it's a good story. But the story didn't have any real relevance to me personally at all until I was introduced to the real story. And the real story turned my life around. The reality is that there are many of us even here today, and trust me, though many of us are long-timers that understand the whole story and its implication, there are many, many, many of us here that are coming on a week-to-week basis now trying to just figure out what is the real story? What is this thing called the gospel? This should be your day. But for the vast majority of us here that are Christians, Let me tell you, equally important, I would suspect that there is the largest portion, a majority at least, of us who have still not truly heard the real depth of the story. And it's not going to be near as beautiful until you understand it in its depth. We're going to use a text that I think is going to be very, very helpful for us to be able to do that. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn there even now. I came to some wrong conclusions because I was, I was told incorrectly the story. I, I came to some wrong conclusions. I, I assumed I was a Christian. I really wasn't a Christian. I assumed that I would go to heaven, though I would not have gone to heaven. I assumed that I was experiencing what Christians experience at its best, but I truly, truly, truly was far, far from it. And all came about when I began to hear this true story. What I had been told was a counterfeit story. I mean, it wasn't even a, a distorted version of the real. It was a counterfeit story. And that's what I want to do first. I want to just make sure that everyone knows the counterfeit story, understands why it's counterfeit. And I'm going to take very, very, very little time on this. But we need to spend a few minutes on that. The bulk of our time is going to be on the authentic story. The authentic story, the real deal. We'll go into our Second Corinthians 5 text. Then I'm going to take just a very few quick minutes at the end, and I'm going to explain a distorted version that probably maybe even a majority of us still hold on to to some degree. And hopefully this is going to shape us into the real understanding of this thing called the gospel, the story. Why is it so important? 
Well, it's the most important story ever. But for me, there's even more reason. I had one of our, one of our people come up to me last night and, uh, and said, you know, after the service, and said, you know, I, I've heard the gospel explained a lot, but boy, this with passion. You, you're passionate about this story, aren't you? You're passionate. I said, I am. I'm very passionate about it. And beyond many other reasons, or there are many, many reasons, but I'll tell you one, because when I leave this earth and I report in the presence of God, and when I say report, I mean have the beautiful privilege of being with my and your master if you're a Christian. At that moment, I'll tell you what, I want there to be never a doubt that I have to the people that God put me over in this church, that there's no doubt that everyone had an opportunity and heard clearly the gospel. Every week we talk the gospel, but I want to pinpoint it today in a special way that no one will ever leave this place saying, I don't know that I ever heard the gospel, not clearly. You got to know the authentic gospel. Now, with that, let's look at the counterfeit gospel very quickly, but importantly. You've heard the little trilogy that I've used if you've been around here long for the authentic gospel and the distorted view, but probably never, unless you were here last week, uh, what I'm going to call the counterfeit gospel. And it goes like this. We lost a little. Number one, we lost a little. What did we lose in this counterfeit gospel? We lost our perfection, but we didn't lose our goodness. Now you're still good. You're still good. See, I heard the counterfeit gospel. My father was on the board of stewards of our church. It was like being an elder. Now, he wasn't a Christian, but he was in the leadership of the church. I never heard the real story. In fact, uh, my father really underscored the counterfeit portion of this and that when I would be sick, I heard this many, many times, and I appreciate the affirmation and his great love for me, but he'd say, oh, son, you're just way, 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 way too good to be sick like this. This should never happen to you. What an affirmation of lies. He's saying, oh, you're a good, 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 good boy. This shouldn't happen to you. Well, it told me, well, I'm, this is what my church was saying, that basically you people here, you're all good people. You're good people. And I assumed that and therefore assumed I was okay with God. Then there was the number two portion of this, and that is that he did a little. Uh, where I went to church, it was very very much underscored that Jesus was good. He did wonderful things for us. He taught us a wonderful message. Uh, he modeled love. He modeled humility. He even modeled sacrifice by his example of dying on a cross, which I never understood why that cross had to be the cross. But it was a wonderful example, and you ought to follow this, Jesus. He's that good and worthy of being followed. Which leads to the third and final piece of it, and that is that we get a little. But here's the problem what we do get, as little as it is, is really not good at all. Because what we get is we get a perfect standard toward which to fail. I mean, we, none of us can, we can strive toward it, but we can't, we can never reach that, that uh, ideal that's put before us. A false virtue. Uh, in a sense, he gave us a, a virtue that says, hey, I'm a good person, very deceiving. Oh, I'm a, I'm a good kid. I, I go to church and I believe the right things and I do the right things. Therefore, I must be okay with God. And all I'm getting is a lot of deceit because I'm being set up for failure. Folks, that's not good news. That's no gospel. 
That's bad news. Last thing I want to say about this thing called the counterfeit gospel, what I'll put up here now are three things that we have to know just to make sure that we know this about the counterfeit gospel. Number one, it claims, in fact, the same blessing of eternal life that we've talked about in the real deal. But it's based on the virtue of its adherence. Virtue means goodness. Remember, we, we lost a little. We didn't lose our goodness. Therefore, if you've got this goodness, then you're okay with God. That's basically what it teaches. Number two, it teaches that the virtue from which this blessing supposedly comes is in reality a false virtue. I'm saying the truth tells us this, that, hey, know this about this virtue as we call it. It is not a real virtue. It is a false virtue. It is very deceitful. It is what I like to think of very southern as well, right? I know a lot of us grew up in the south. I grew up in the very, very, very center of the south. And where I grew up, you know, it was so hard to detect the real deal from, from that which was counterfeit. It, re it really was. Even after I understood the real, authentic gospel, sometimes it's hard. Talk about a friend who passes away. Well, you know, he's a, he's a good man. I know he did a lot of bad things, and I understand that he, but, you know, he's, he's in heaven now, and we're very grateful because he was a good man. And I'd go, yeah, 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 I guess he's in heaven. He's probably a good person. That's Southern gospel. I mean, it, it is so difficult to detect. It's as difficult to detect in the gospel as it is in our language. You know, those of us that are Southerners, you know, we have no thought when somebody says, gonna. I'm going to go to the store. I don't ever stop as a southerner and go, no, 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 no. That's going to the store. There's no such word as gonna. It's a counterfeit word. It's not the real deal, all right? It is going to. I grew up in if people didn't have clothes on, they were naked. <laughs> I would never, ever, ever, ever stop somebody who says, you know, and, and, and uh, the little boy, my little child was, was naked and he was running around like a little boy. And I go, I would never stop and say, no, it's naked. It's not naked. <laughs> What's wrong with naked? What's wrong with gonna? You get the point. Don't, well, no, it's, it's not even the right word. And let me tell you, very similar to this southern gospel. Oh, but it's still the same stuff. It's Jesus. It's still about, no, it is not the same thing. Jonathan Edwards came along as the, probably noted today as the greatest pastor in American history. And he talked about this virtue that we're talking about now, not the real deal. And he called it a secondary virtue. Secondary virtue. Meaning that it's coming out of wrong motives, it's coming out of fear, it's coming out of all kind of reasons that we are good people. It is not necessarily a good thing. So it leads us to the third and final thing we want to know about, and that is Jesus condemned this off-brand version of the gospel. And boy, did he, did he truly, truly condemn it. I mean, he said that this stuff, this secondary virtue is more dangerous than the worst of immorality that you can imagine. The very worst. It's more dangerous. Let me tell you, I don't think parents really buy into that. Parents today think, boy, if I can just have a good and religious child, that's, 
That's a whole lot better than having a kid that's going out there and, and just running wild doing all kind of bad things. We're going to learn next week that that's not necessarily the case. And we'll see why. It's maybe going to shape our whole perspective on parenting when things don't go well. We'll talk about that next week. I love the way Tim Keller puts it. One book he writes, he says, Only an experience of grace and free justification can create a heart that does good out of delight in God himself, delight in goodness itself, and delight in love for one's neighbor themselves. Uh, well, we love neighbors and we love, but let me tell you, wrong motive, no good. So keep that in mind. That is the counterfeit. No more needs to be said about that. If you're in the counterfeit world uh, of, of the gospel, be careful. Look at it carefully and listen now as I walk through what is the authentic gospel, which takes us to our text. So if you have your, your Bibles, I want you to hold there, but I'm going to ask you to do this as we read our text. I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. We're going to read the text, and though since you might have different translations, you've got it in the bulletin in the same translation I'm using. We're going to put it on the screen, but I'd like for you to look at the screen for this portion because we're going to read it, and we're going to do it responsively. As we do, it'll be... I'm me reading and then all of us reading, leader and all. Notice that when we come to uh, uh, just the, after a few slides, there's going to be multiple slides that we keep reading all together. So let's all continue to read when you see that. So watch as it gives us the description at the top. I'll begin. Verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died together. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Continuing. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. All right, take your seats. And, and we're going to have to kind of cherry pick through this text because time would not permit to go through every verse. But I want you to see what's central in this text. And then you can go back and read it further. But I'll give you the heart of it as we walk through this. We're going to do it looking through the lens of our threefold description of the gospel. This time, the authentic gospel, which begins, most of you know, with we lost what? We lost it all. We lost it all. Now, we're talking about the true virtue or the true goodness. 
We lost it all. Meaning that we came into this world through our foreparents, Adam and Eve, and at that time had true virtue. And we're talking about friendship with God, freedom from sin because there was no sin, eternal bliss forever and ever, living on earth in the wonderful garden. Everything was there. And then at one moment in sin, we all lost it all. We, we, uh, who's we? All of mankind. We lost it all. Now, I've at other times taught about why would we lose it all when they sinned. I can't go into that right now. But trust me on this. Just go to Romans 5. It is so real and it is so right and it is so good. It actually is a good thing for us that we all lost it in their sin. Because ultimately, we're going to be able to get all back because of one person as well. And that person is Jesus, obviously. But we lost it all. By the way, if you go to the Old Testament, David said that in Psalm 51. He said of himself that he was conceived in sin. David talks about there's no goodness. In fact, Paul comes along in Romans chapter 3, and he quotes David in one of the Psalms. And do you know what he says? He says, oh, by the way, this is Paul. This is the great author in the New Testament. He said, there's none good, no, not one, quoting David. There's none who seek for God. There's none good, not even one. Nobody is good. The idea that we lost it all. If you go further in that same chapter 3, you, you read the very famous verse. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, meaning we lost it all. Ephesians 2.1 says we're dead in our sin. There's no hope. There's no life. I mean, we lost it all. Now let's look at our text. And in verse 15, this is what it says. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Suggesting that in our sin, here's the problem, we live for ourselves. Do you know we can live for ourselves by adding religion and live more for ourselves because we have religion? We can add morality to our life and live more for ourselves because of our morality. We're going to see that next week. Very easy for that to happen. So we have to be very, 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 very careful. Now, verse 10, we didn't read, but I'm going to take us back to verse 10 in our text. If you have your Bibles, you can see it there. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So this is the terrible, terrible news. Because we have lost it all, we have to die eternally. And as well as that, the scriptures go on through the book of Romans and oh, so many, many different places that we are dead not only in our death ultimately in judgment, but we're dead in sin even now. We're dead. As a result, let me tell you, there's no way we could say we have anything left. We lost it all. I love the way one of my very favorite authors, most of you have been around, have heard me quote him time and again, in the 1600s, Francois Fenelon, oh my goodness, look what he said. This is in the 1600s. He had it right. You really don't understand how far man has fallen if you expect any good from him. Stand in awe that the new stem of Jesus Christ bears good fruit within you. Discount all human acts of virtue. They are poisoned with smugness and self-confidence. 
There's an inward idolatry that is worse than outrageous outward sins. He understood what Jesus was saying. Let God humble you. See, until we get this, that we lost it all, man, oh man, we are in plight. The story has plight, no doubt. But as we're about to see, it also has rescue. So we come to the second chapter of this version of the gospel that's authentic, and that is he, meaning Jesus, that he did it all. What do we mean by all? Well, verses 18 and 19, they answer that question for us. Here's what it says. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled. Hold the word, very important word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. That's the part A of the verse. But I want to move to 19. The first part of that verse says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Now, this word reconcile has the idea, it actually means exchange. That's important to know. Exchange. So if, uh, if a child was talking about, I need to reconcile with another child, or a, let's say a student or something, I, uh, I got to reconcile with my friend. Whoever it is, I got to reconcile with my friend. What is it we saying? Well, what we got to do is I've got to say, hey, I'm sorry for what I did to hurt you. And then if there's reason on the other side, well, I'm sorry that I hurt you. I apologize. Now we can hug, and now we've been reconciled. That is not what this text is teaching about God. It is not that God has to say any I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry I let you fall. I'm sorry that you did them. No, no, no. It's not that it's just us coming to him saying, hey, I'm sorry that I became a bad person. I started doing bad stuff. I'm sorry that in Adam I fell. Nothing. It's not that. It's far more than that. I want you to think of reconciliation as exchange or swap of cups. This is going to be a way to remember this forever and ever. This is biblical too. Cups. You remember Jesus hours before his death? He has his disciples together in the upper room, and it's for the Passover meal. Now we're going to call it, after that time, we're going to call it the Lord's table, communion, whatever you want to call it. But do you remember there that he said to his disciples, he said, here, take this cup, and he handed them a cup to drink? By the way, remember this in just a minute. Jesus didn't drink that cup. He didn't drink. He gave it to them to drink. We'll come back to that cup. But you know, then it, was, it wasn't long after that, just within hours, he is prostrate on the, on the ground. And I mean, he is crying out to God. And what does he cry? He says, oh God, please let this cup pass from me. What's he talking about? It's a cup of judgment. He didn't want judgment from his father. He didn't want, he didn't want all this sin to be a part that would separate him. That was not his human longing at all. And, and he just pleads, but he says, however, as the divine God, he says, nevertheless, thy will be done. Your will be done. And his will was done because hours later, he's hanging on a cross and he drinks the cup of judgment in his death. You see, that was the swap. He had to, he had to give, he had to take from us our cup of judgment, and he drank it. In just a minute, we're going to see, though, that we get something, too, and 
we get a cup. But right now, just understand, that was his side of the swap. What he did was he took for us, he actually took our judgment. Another way we've looked at it in Colossians 2, it's it's our certificate of debt. He took our certificate of debt and he paid for it. How? By drinking the cup of judgment. That's what he had to do in his side of this great exchange that he made. Our verse 19 that we just read, it says, not counting our trespasses or our sins against us. Please know this. Everybody know this. He was still counting. God was counting our sins, but not against us. Instead, he counted them against his son, Jesus, and he had to drink that cup of judgment. To put it in 1 Peter 2 terms, it looks like this. And he himself, verse 24, bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin And notice it says, and to live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Our verse 21 now, the first part of the verse, it makes it so clear. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Folks, that is love and that is rescue of the ultimate degree. That's why it's such a great story. Let me tell you, he did it all. He did it all. He had to because we lost it all. But the great, 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 great news is number three, we get it all. We get it all. Well, what is man's side? Remember the cup? Here was the cup that he handed to his disciples. And by the way, you and I as Christians are handed that cup every time we take the Lord's table. We're handed this cup. That cup represents the the drink of his righteousness by means of his life-giving sacrifice on the cross. That's what we get. If you're understanding this, what he's saying is we get his righteousness. Look at verse B of, of verse 21. It says, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you get this, folks? This means that we take this cup and we drink of his righteousness. When we become his, we are now covered in his righteousness so that God would see us even as he would see his son Jesus, as righteous as Jesus, who never sinned, and we still keep sinning. And he says, you got to understand, I see you as righteous. I see you just as righteous as my son. I don't know, I've had this conversation so many times with guys that I've introduced to Christ and they're brand new Christian, maybe a week before, or they just come to faith, and I say, now let's make sure we're really getting this. Do you really understand this story? So what happens if both of us died right this minute and we were to stand before God and the question were asked, who is the more righteous as we enter into heaven? Who is the more righteous between you and me? And I, all the time I hear the same thing. Well, obviously, you're more righteous than me, man. You've been at this thing a long time, and I've been doing a lot of bad stuff, and I've just been a Christian, you know, a few days, and so obviously, you're a whole lot more righteous than I am. I said, well, you know what? There's a little bit of truth in the fact that I have, I've sanctified, been sanctified longer, and so forth, but if you want to understand who's the most righteous, which was the question, let me tell you, you missed the answer. He would say, we're both equally righteous. Randy, you were covered in the righteousness of Christ in 19-whatever when you became a, a real believer. 
John, you were covered this last week when you became a real believer. Uh, Randy, you were covered with all of my righteousness. Uh, John, you were covered with all of my righteousness. So who has the most righteousness? And the answer is we are equally righteous. Do you understand the implication of this? This is why this is such great news. We can live our life in spite of the sin that has such dire consequences, yes. I mean, in, in reality, there's a lot of pain and suffering and loss because of our sin. But in terms of our acceptance and love of God, let me tell you, he's looking at us saying, I love you. I love you as I love my son Jesus. I accept you the way I accept my son Jesus. You are in my righteousness. Do you know how that will change your day if you believe that? Do you know how that's going to change the way you look at yourself in spite and in light of your sin? I'm telling you. It's a, do you know what that's going to do to cause you to want to love God all the more? That's the whole story. That's We get it all. That is so critically, critically important. Therefore, I'll put up three statements. This kind of puts it in perspective so you can see these three as we move into the last gospel in closing. And that would be this, the authentic gospel. It says, I can't do anything for God to accept me and love me. I want to go back to the counterfeit first, though. If we can do counterfeit gospel first. Counterfeit. I have to do something for God to accept and love me. There's the counterfeit. Now look at the authentic. The authentic says, I can't do anything for God to, love me, to accept me and love me. But now we're going to look thirdly at the last gospel, the distorted one. Here's what it says. Though God accepts me, I have to do something for God to love me. I have to do something for God to love me. So let's look at why we believe that. It's the distorted version. Number one, we lost a lot. Oh, yeah, we all agree that we lost, we're all sinners. Here's where it differs. It says we lost only a lot. Not just a little, but a lot. And so I understand that, that I, I'm, I'm not a good person in many respects, but there's still a little goodness in all of us. If you want to test somebody's real belief on this, you ask them, what would you think happens to a little girl who's 12 years old that's the sweetest, most wonderful, kind, loving little girl you've ever, ever met? She lives in North Africa, by the way. She wakes up in the morning and she says, Allah. She goes to bed at night saying, Allah. And she dies in a car wreck. Tragically is killed. What happens to this little girl? And the Christian community goes, well, it's, it's man... Randy, help me with that one. That's one I, I don't know. That's hard to, I mean, I know that, and what they're saying is, God wouldn't allow that, would he? Because there is good in that little girl. And what we're saying is, oh, there's a good, a little bit of good in everybody. We lost a lot, but not everything. So that leads to the second chapter of the gospel. And the second chapter says that he, Jesus, did a lot. Oh, he did a lot. He went to Calvary's cross. He paid for sins. He did all of this, but he didn't do everything because, remember, there's a little bit of goodness in all of us and what we do. This is the mindset of those that hold to this, probably many of us. And I take a, my goodness that's left and I create a little faith of my own and I create a little repentance on my own and I bring them to God and therefore I do a little. He does a whole lot as opposed to the authentic gospel that says, do you know that even your faith and your repentance is a gift of God's grace in your life? 
He's given you that to offer to him. Wow. He does it all. But this view, you know, he does a lot. Here's the great, great, great danger of this. It leads to the third chapter, and the third chapter says we get a lot. Oh, we get forgiveness, we get to go to heaven, yeah, 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 yeah. But because there's always that little gap in there, here's what happens. Oh, I'm accepted by God, but conditionally I have to work to earn and keep the love of God. These are the people who get trapped in performance. And they're constantly thinking what I've got to do or God's going to get, oh, I had an abortion when I was, oh, God will never love me like he loves somebody else. Oh, I don't have my devotions regularly, therefore I know God's not going to love me the way, oh, I realize as important as it is to spend time with God, to protect the, the sanctity of life and all that, God says, no, you've got to understand this. You are in my righteousness and I accept you and love you as I love and accept my own son. That is the truth. You've got to know that. That's the, that's the real story. So I'm just going to say to all that are kind of dabbling in this distorted gospel, don't buy it. It is a truly, it is, it's just a lousy version of the real. It's not the real deal. Now, why so important? Why is this so important? It'll affect your life in ways you've never even imagined when you start getting down to the authentic versus the distorted. Case in point, having lunch this last week with a man who goes to this church, relatively new to this church. The reason that we happened to be together was some very unusual circumstances. But we're together meeting. And he tells me that his story is a, a very, very, very hard one. He's made some very, very tragic mistakes that are going to lead to incredibly horrible, horrible consequences. And he tells his story, as hard as it is to tell, he tells his story. And he says, I just want to say to you, thank you for Perimeter Church. How's that? Well, the church that I was in when I exposed what I had done and confessed what I had done, scarlet letter immediately. And I understand that. I did something very horrible. But my parents got that same scarlet letter, my wife, my children, everybody who had nothing to do with what I'd done. And it was just like taboo. You're now in that category. He said, I came here, and it, it was a, a whole different story. When I told my story of the horrid thing I've done, I, it's like I got embraced with love. I got, you know, not that people agreed that it was okay, but it was like they love me. I said, can I tell you a story? I told him the story of a man that I was trying to lead to faith. He came to me, and he said, I've done something horrible, and he had. Something very bad. And he couldn't get it out. He just told me he'd done something bad. But he said, I need to tell you, but I don't think I can. I said, no, you can tell me. No, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can. And he's just wrestling. I said, no, you can tell me. He said, it's so bad. I, I don't know how you'll even, I can't imagine what you're going to think when you hear this. I said, all right, let me make a little bet with you to make this a little fun. I'm going to bet you that whatever you tell me, that I'm not going to be surprised. I'm not going to be in the sense of, in terms of shocked. I'm not. In fact, 
that I'm going to say whatever you say you've done, I'm going to be able to tell you something I've done equally as bad. He said, no way. I said, try me. All right. So he tells me what he did. It was bad. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, beat you. Nah, I got you beat. He said, what have you done? And I went into detail describing my self-righteousness. And he said, you're kidding me. That's nothing. I said, oh, in some respects now it's true that the consequences on earth of what you're doing is going to be far worse because people don't even know of my self-righteousness. I can hide it. That's part of my problem. But I went on to describe how God sees sin and what the heart is really like and that everything that I have has been given of him and that in myself we're all the same. There's different expressions of sin. Do you understand how that changes the way you love people? When people hurt you, when people, uh, it's, it's a whole different ballgame. You say, God, look what you did for me. How can I not with you truly express love, forgiveness, whatever it is? To be who I need to be. That's how it happens. You get this truth of the gospel instilled in purity in your heart. It will impact the way you live, the way you think. He said, Randy, how did you get to this point? The man I'm meeting with, I said, how did you get there? How did that happen? I said, you know how it happened? When I was in high school, I got invited to a church, and they started talking about the real gospel. And then I heard that I had some distortions in my thinking, and they clarified my distortions, and it purified the gospel. And now I carry that real gospel with me every day, far, far from perfect. Oh, I'm telling you. But oh, how it shapes the way I think and the way I behave, even with good motives, because it's the work of God. Folks, that is the real gospel. That's the real gospel. So 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says it so clearly. He says, we become new creatures. Old things are passed away. All things become new. So how do we know if we're really a Christian? Oh, I'll tell you how you know. Because now you old things passed away, old plans, old desires, old prejudices, old opinions. All those things, they start going away called fruit. New things start coming. What new things? Well, new things like a, a new desire to proclaim my faith, to tell the story, a new passion to be righteous and to be holy, a new passion to, to confess sin. All those things become new. That's called fruit. And fruit is the work of God's imputed righteousness where he imputes, takes his righteousness, places it in us. It will bring about change in one's heart. That's called fruit. That's how you know. Folks, it is not I prayed to receive Jesus, therefore I've got to be his. No, it's I've had the exchange, and I gave him my bad record, and he took the cup of judgment, and I got his cup of righteousness, and I swallowed by the grace of God, and I was declared fully righteous, and that's what's produced fruit in me that gives me old things passed away, all things become new. That's how I know I'm a Christian. Folks, know this. If anything else, know this. You heard the real gospel today. That is the gospel. And it's the best news 
there is. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that we might, as a people, embrace the beauty, the wonder, the splendor of this great authentic gospel. And we pray the adventure that comes with it might thrill us from this day forward, that the fruit of your righteousness in our hearts might be so evident. I pray for people here without a a relationship with you. God, would you grant there to be in their hearts right now a desire, a heart longing for your righteousness, that they might swallow that cup of your goodness, what you did on Calvary's cross. And where there's confusion in understanding that, clarify that confusion today, tomorrow, and the next. We pray that they would come to understand your great love and that all of us might realize that even though we lost it all, you did it all, and we've got it all. We're blessed, we're thankful. And we pray in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.